1: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has
0: everything you need to help you get going.
1: Get a head start on summer and try Peloton risk-free with Peloton Rentals at onepeloton.com bike slash rentals.
0: Assalamu alaikum alaykum wa Before I introduce this week's show, I would like to make a plea for your kind support. Alhamdulillah, we have now passed our 50th episode and I would like to thank our team and you the listeners for your continued commitment to this podcast. I started this project because I saw a need for good quality and in-depth discussions on the issues we face as an ummah. And we really believe this project is unique. And the many comments we receive supporting our work as well as the steady growth in our listenership is heartening. At a time where around us we see injustice and ignorance, we have made it a duty to tell the facts as we know it. Guests as diverse in thinking and approaches have all commented on the value of our approach and the meticulous research that goes into each and every show. We are committed to bringing out the best quality content and we want to increase the frequency of our shows and we need to market the project to a broader audience. This is where we need your help. Alhamdulillah, this project is a volunteer effort but to get the podcast more widely known we have to market it more broadly on social media and beyond. I would like to ask you, if you can, to donate whatever you can towards this objective. We operate on a shoestring budget funded by our volunteers and if you, like us, see a value in this initiative, please help us. A donation link is available on our website, thinkingmuslim.com and a link has been placed in the description of this program. We also request that you encourage others to subscribe to this podcast and keep us, of course, in your du'as. And ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he brings barakah to this work and he purifies our intentions. For most Muslims, Ramadan's routine of prayer and reflection and du'a was interrupted by the horrific acts of savagery perpetrated by the Israelis against Palestinians. It started with the Sheikh Jarrah land grab the latest episode in the ongoing project of settler colonialism, and then the sanctities of Al-Aqsa was defiled by police officers hell-bent on provoking the sentiments of worshippers. The savagery by which the occupying power acted was caught on smartphone cameras and communicated to the world. Until now the state has acted with impunity probably cognizant that the Arab leaders have abandoned the Palestinian cause and worse still have enabled it through pacts and treaties to curry favour with America. We Muslims like to believe that the world sees justice for what it is and responds to injustice. But the issue of Palestine and the hypocritical response of the West is a constant reminder that America and Europe care little for humanity when their allies and interests are undermined the steady building of settlements, the confiscation of Palestinian land over the past few decades, the billions of dollars of military aid, the willingness to use the UN veto to protect Israel is clear for any right-minded person that the international system hides behind a facade of human rights and international law. The first step to make a change is to understand the issues. It is one of the maladies of the modern age that we live in an information-saturated world yet often can't move beyond headlines and soundbites. The modern liberal society is weighed down by ignorance and superficiality. This week, we discuss the politics of Palestine to get a greater understanding with the veteran commentator Dr. Azan Tamimi. Dr. Tamimi is no stranger to this debate. He has thoughtfully and with consistency raised the issues of Palestine at immense personal cost. Like many academics, he has been blacklisted and banned from university campuses, yet remains a reasoned and thoughtful commentator on the issue within the Muslim community globally. I ask him about the current context, the role of Hamas and his views on their strategy, and his take on Sheikh Jarrah and the Biden administration's duplicity in dealing with the conflict. Dr. Azam Tamimi, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, and welcome back to the Thinking Muslim podcast. Wa alaikum <laughs> assalam wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh. And how are you today, Dr. Tamimi? We're speaking just after Eid, so jazakallah khair for uh, uh, for, for joining us. So how was your Eid?
1: Alhamdulillah, bi khair, barakallahu feek. It's a Palestinian Aid. It's a Palestinian Eid.
0: Well uh, as uh, as you know uh, Dr. Tamimi we're in a uh, a very difficult situation or very worrying situation for the Muslim ummah and for our Palestinian brothers and sisters I mean at the time of speaking and uh events are moving very fast uh, the Netanyahu government has begun an air land and sea assault on Gaza uh, we're led to believe that this assault was uh, at least in part in retaliation for Hamas's missile attacks uh, on major Israeli cities, including Tel Aviv. But before we get into uh, the Gaza situation, uh, let's start with, uh, I suppose, what we can call the short-term triggers behind the current escalating crisis. And I suppose these are the heavy-handed policing at uh, Al-Aqsa, Masjid, during Ramadan, and and of course, the ongoing purging, of Arabs from Sheikh Jarrah district of of East Jerusalem. Uh, What can you tell us about the background to, well, let's start with the Sheikh Jarrah uh, situation. Why why is it significant? And um, uh, tell us a little bit about the postponed court judgment.
1: Uh, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. I like the term uh, (laughs) short-term triggers because they are short-term triggers indeed. You see, the problem uh, has been going on for decades. It's not new. But yes, Sheikh Jarrah and Al-Aqsa Mosque triggered the current explosion because there's been so much frustration, so much anger uh, that uh, eventually it needed it's like a barrel of dynamite that needed a spark. Uh, And uh, this was the spark. Uh, Sheikh Jarrah is alleged by the Israelis who annexed uh, Beit al-Maqdis or Jerusalem after they occupied it in 1967, after they occupied the eastern part of it in 1967, uh, to have been uh, um, the possession or the ownership of uh, Jewish settlers. Uh, So they've been trying for many years uh, to evict Palestinian families Um, using all sorts of uh, tactics. Uh, The significance of Sheikh Jarrah is that it it symbolizes the Palestinian issue. This is what the issue is about. It's about people who invaded from abroad, who came alleging that God gave them a divine right to take our land and live in our houses and convert our mosques into synagogues, and if not synagogues, then pubs and nightclubs, as they did in many mosques uh, in the areas occupied in 1948. Uh, so it's it's a reminder to Palestinians uh, of the Nakba that happened in 1948, when the uh, majority of the population were uh, forcibly removed uh, from the land, and it's also Um, uh, an alert that you cannot make peace with these people, that every peace attempt, every peace initiative has been um, ignored, has been uh, just completely disregarded. And Israel, the Israeli society, has been turning gradually into uh, more fanatical, uh, a religious form of Zionism, because Zionism in its origins was a nationalistic secular movement. Today, it has changed a lot. Uh, and this is actually the making of, this, of the secularists themselves, because the secularists, as John Rose uh, explains brilliantly in his book, uh, uh, The Myths of Zionism, uh they used religious uh, narrative and biblical uh, uh, claims in order to justify a colonial project uh, by alleging that the Jews were a nation and that they were God's chosen nation and that God gave them a promise to this land and what's, whatever that is in it. So Sheikh Jarrah opens the wound again an an old wound. Uh, As for al-Masjid al-Aqsa, it's really the last uh, red line. There there are no more red red lines after that. Because this for the Muslims is the first Qibla. It's the third holiest mosque. It's the place where the Prophet Muhammad was taken on a night journey before he went up to the heavens. Uh, And therefore when the, the, the Zionists uh, or uh, Jewish fanatics start tampering with it, uh, desecrating it, storming it, talking about the inevitability of bringing it down in order to build their temple, I think that was really a big spark that uh, that barrel of uh, dynamite uh, was waiting for uh, to, exploit, uh, to explode. Uh, so yes, uh, these are sparks uh, that uh, uh, come at a time when Palestinian frustration reached uh, its zenith, its it, it, its really highest level.
0: I, I want you to spell out for our listeners uh, what you mean by Sheikh Jarrah being a symbol of the broader Palestinian struggle. You see, when I look at the families of Sheikh Jarrah, I remember my mother.
1: My mother was born in Beersheba, uh, a town in the Negev, in the Nakab, the desert in the south, uh, closest to... It's halfway between Gaza and Hebron, my hometown. My my mother was 16 years old when her family was uh, forced out of their house. And uh, invaders from Europe... uh, Settled in the house, which then became, in in later years, was used as a center for something. So what's happening with these families happened to my mother before. It happened to hundreds of thousands of Palestinian families who were kicked out of their houses. There's a a brilliant piece uh, that was published uh, uh, the day before yesterday in Middle East Eye about the city of Lud, probably you heard. Uh, it's, in, in Arabic, it's called Al-Lid, and then they called it Lud after they occupied it. The majority of the population of Lod, uh until the mid-30s was Muslims. By 1947, when they were preparing to take over, uh, they banished almost the entire population and left only a few families. And these few families are the ones who then uh, reproduced and became a sizable minority and who are today being uh, persecuted and treated as not even second-class citizens, as third- or uh, fourth-class citizens. So every Palestinian who remembers his mother, his father, his grandfather, will see in Sheikh Jarrah the experience that his uh, own Uh, Ancestors uh, over the past, I mean, not not very long time ago, we're talking about uh, four or five decades ago or seven decades ago, uh, uh, were forced to go through. In that sense, it is symbolic.
0: I want to understand Sheikh Jarrah further. So there is an impending court case, which we're all anticipating, and it seems that the Supreme Court will judge. That uh, the Arab inhabitants of East Jerusalem, in, in this district of Sheikh Jarrah, uh, uh, sh- should face uh, eviction, should face removal in exchange for um, uh, the um, the return, so called return of uh, Jewish settlers. Uh, do do these settlers have any claim, any semblance of a claim uh, towards these properties?
1: You see, the, it has nothing really to do with Jewish residents of the city. It's to do with a regime uh, that has two different systems. A system for the Jews and a system for the non-Jews. When you talk about the Supreme Court or any court in Israel, when it comes to the Arabs, there's a stif- completely different set of rulings, uh, different uh, procedures, the decision of the, of, the, of the High Court or the Supreme Court was a political decision, not a, 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 a judicial uh, decision, not a legal one. Uh, because there was so much tension and attention, the politicians told the court, postpone your decision. The decision is already there. The decision is to take the houses and give them to the Jewish settlers. Now, let me tell you uh, the story of those houses. Those houses used to be inhabited by Jerusalemites, people from Jerusalem. These people left uh, their houses in 1948 when they felt threatened. They were Palestinian. When the Israelis established their state, and took a lot more land than allocated to them by the UN resolution that divides Palestine into two states, one Arab and one uh, uh, Jewish, East Jerusalem came under Hashemite rule, and the West Bank became part of the Hashemite kingdom of Jordan. The Jordanians gave permission or allocated those houses, those same houses, to people who were dispossessed in the areas that had already been occupied by Israel in 1948. Families who were uh, forced out of their homes in Jaffa, in Haifa, in Lod, in uh, Akka, and in other places. And the Jordanians, uh, a few uh, days ago, provided all the documents that prove this. But we are not here talking about legal issues because there is no legality. There is no proper judicial system. This is an apartheid regime and it decides politically as well as religiously what the palestinians can get or what they cannot get
0: so so if uh so my understanding is that the attorney general uh requested that the supreme court judgment is postponed uh what lay behind that postponement i mean of course if if it's a political decision and and uh, the israeli state has uh, so far been inflaming um, uh, opinion in, in Palestine, why hold back, why reserve judgement to later on
1: I think they miscalculated, they thought it was going to be a piece of cake uh, but uh, the Palestinians uh, uh, objected and resisted um, we, and it was the month of Ramadan when people come to the mosque every night and Sheikh Jarrah is just a few uh, hundred yards away from uh, from uh, Al-Aqsa Mosque uh, international pressure might have played a role in this because they were, they, people were telling Netanyahu, what are you doing? Are you crazy? <laughs> uh, and there was also opposition from within the, Jewish, from the, within the Israeli establishment itself. And I read uh, um, uh, a, a prominent, uh, a renowned uh, Israeli journalist saying that even the head of uh, Settlement Federation or something of this sort uh, in the West Bank objected to the decision to do what they were doing because it was, it was inflammatory. It was going to, it, it was uh, agitating. It was inciting and it was too risky and too dangerous. So probably those factors together, they decided to postpone until probably things uh, cooled off a bit or, uh, or, or moved on. But then, uh, there was an escalation inside Al-Aqsa Mosque and this led to threats from Hamas and other resistance movements. The Israelis did not heed uh, uh, neither the advice nor the uh, threats and then we ended up having the war now.
0: Well, can, can you explain uh, the Al-Aqsa uh, flashpoint? Um, so my understanding is that during um, the month of Ramadan, the Israeli forces, uh, Israeli police, um, quite purposely incited uh, Muslim worshippers and, and created the conditions uh, for um, antagonism. What was behind that? If you agree, what was behind uh, that, um, that, 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 that approach to policing which would have inevitably created uh, a problem?
1: Um, on the 28th, there was uh, supposed to be, on the 28th day of Ramadan, there was supposed to be a march by Jewish settlers uh, who belong to a fanatical group uh, that believes Arabs have uh, no right to any part of Palestine uh, to mark the unification of the city when it was occupied in 1967. And the head of uh, the commissioner of the police, who was recently appointed, I think he was appointed in January uh, this year, or the year before I forgot, uh, recently appointed, belongs to this group, or very sympathetic toward this group. And he did, he allowed them to have the march across Al-Aqsa Mosque. But of course, prior to that, there were a few incidents, like the barricading of the plaza in front of the Damascus Gate, where worshippers, after doing taraweeh, come out and spend time, you know, the young men and women and chat and this and that waiting for uh, Fajr prayers. Uh, They barricaded that, they wanted to close it completely and uh, the young men and women of uh, Jerusalem just refused to accept that. And then they backed off. They reopened it after they saw the flare-up. So it's, it's one miscalculation after another, one stupidity after the other. And the explanation for all of this, according to some Israeli analysts, uh, is uh, Netanyahu. Netanyahu, who is facing uh, a court case and is likely to go to prison, and who is more uh, who is, who stands to be um, out of to, to be out of government, although he was hoping to remain uh, a prime minister wanted to divert attention to something else, wanted to emerge as a hero uh, out of uh, creating this crisis. Um, And uh, and this is uh, is known of him. He's he's, uh, behaved uh, this way so many times. Uh, In 1996, for instance, when he assassinated Yahya Ayyash, although there was at the time uh, a truce between Hamas and the Israelis, Uh, He uh, did that uh, later on at different occasions. He is a man who only thinks about his political future, his political position. Uh, And I think the Americans realize this, the Europeans realize this, but they are so cowardly and so hypocritical that they don't don't dare speak publicly about this.
0: So Netanyahu at at the moment is uh, in a political bind and uh, he hoped uh, through this most recent election to win a majority. I think a vaccine bounce was hoped for um, and um, he failed to receive uh, a majority of the electorate and majority of seats in in, uh, in the Knesset. Now, um, uh, so I infer from what you've said that um, this is Netanyahu's attempt to cling on to power and to uh, leave a, a name for himself and to present himself to the israeli people as the the one defender uh of israel um in the face of this uh, you know terrorism as as he would refer to it um but how successful is is that strategy i mean does he really believe that uh there is a way out of a the the, the electoral deficit he's in but b as you said you know he the, the very inevitable uh, uh, corruption charge which as you said may lead to a prison sentence
1: how successful days will tell we will probably know very sure very very shortly uh, but you see what Netanyahu, Netanyahu's gamble is the following he uh, depends entirely on um, a fanatical base of Jewish settlers so he thought if he could give them what they want or what they wanted if he could give them what they wanted then probably he could tilt the balance in his favor i don't think he expected uh, matters to get out of hand and to escalate into uh, what we see in in palestine it's not just uh, the crisis in Sheikh jarrah or the crisis in al-aqsa mosque it's not even just the war with gaza it's every town and city across Palestine uh, that is now raging. And uh, the, uh, Netanyahu has, uh, in an unprecedented manner, turned this conflict into a religious conflict between Muslims and Jews. Um, many Palestinians didn't believe it was religious they thought it was political, they invaded us, they took our homes, they are Zainas, we don't have a problem with Jews, Jews lived with us before in peace, this is not a war against followers of Judaism, but Netanyahu is saying, no, 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 you are not right, you don't understand. This is Jew against Muslim, and he's been able to prove it by going after Al-Aqsa Mosque, by uh, provoking the Muslims during the month of Ramadan, and uh, by uh, setting his fanatical uh, religious nationalists uh, uh, on uh, Muslim Palestinians and even Christian Palestinians uh, across the country, like uh, uh, killing uh, Hassuna, the Arab, in Lud. This is what uh, caused the, the, the tension in Lud in the first place. These settlers are armed, they train in the army, they serve in the army, they believe God gave them the land. They believe that Arabs are worth nothing. So it's OK to kill an Arab to the extent that the Minister of Public Security, as well as the police commissioner, asked the authorities to release the killers of Hasuna. Why are you imprisoning them? These are heroes. They were defending
0: themselves against Arab mobs. This is how they put it. You've explained there that uh, there are elements of Israeli society that are very... Uh, they're very perturbed by Netanyahu's strategy and and they can see that this is a recipe for a civil war. And um, in fact, the president uh, made comments uh, to that effect uh, a couple of days ago and and called for calm. Um, How much hope, Dr. Tomimi, should we have in wider Israeli political uh, society uh, we know that uh, there are progressive and centrist parties that are uh that have uh, taken a back seat in in the last few years but they still are, are quite sizable and, and they've got currency in in the Israeli population um has this right wing tendency you refer to has it taken over Israeli political life and Israeli society uh, and or is there hope for these, uh, these uh, left-leaning parties?
1: Well, the fact is that uh, the left has uh, died in Israel. There is no more left, really, uh, just a few seats in parliament. Imagine, I mean, this is the left that created the state of Israel. And uh, the main political actors in Israel all belong to the right. It's just where in the right you are. You, you happen to be. The far right, oh. the middle right, the center right, as they call them. But they are all on the right. Even uh, Netanyahu's uh, mm. um, competitors uh, are uh, with him in uh, this war uh, they are waging on Gaza. Uh, so I, I don't really have uh, any hope in, uh, uh, in Israeli society. If there was any hope, it has uh, completely evaporated with the recent events.
0: Now let's turn to uh, the issue uh, in Gaza. Um, now we've seen uh, heightened tensions uh between gaza and and uh, mainline Israel in in the last uh, few days with rocket fire and, and and retaliatory action by the israeli army um now regardless of the efficacy of of hamas's strategy um do you think there's politics behind uh hamas's approach i mean i note that uh, Palestinian elections haven't taken uh, place for a number of years. And, and recently, the, the PLA um, abandoned uh, the new round of elections. And is there a, is there a uh, you know, l- like we can, we can point fingers at Netanyahu for, um, for playing politics and, and um, strategizing at a time of, of crisis, uh, can one uh, levy a very similar Uh, accusation towards Hamas?
1: I don't see evidence of this. Um, I'll take you back to the uh, last few days when the Israelis were um, intimidating worshippers in Al-Aqsa Mosque. Hamas gave the Israelis first 48 hours, then 24 hours, then until 6 p.m. they said to them, get out of the mosque or else we have to act. So Hamas was not... I mean, had the Israelis heeded uh, that uh, and left the Muslims alone in the mosque without intimidation, uh, none of this would have happened. Um, Why would Hamas enter into uh, a war that would uh, bring so much destruction and pain and agony to Gaza? Only because the Israelis seemed... Uh, bent on desecrating Al-Aqsa Mosque and Al-Aqsa Mosque is something that you really have to do something about if the Arabs are unable to do something outside Palestine if the Muslims are unable to come to its rescue the people of Gaza felt they could do something at least bring pressure to bear on the world and on the Israeli establishment to stop these uh, uh, provocations But let me point to one important uh, uh, fact of significance here. Gaza has been under siege since 2006 or 2007, imagine, under very severe sanctions. Living in Gaza is like not living at all. Netanyahu would be the most stupid person on the face of the earth to think that he is adding pain to the pain endured already by the people of Gaza, who cannot find medicines for their children, who can hardly feed them, where there's a very high rate of unemployment, where you are imprisoned in this uh, most highly um, or most densely populated uh, piece of land on the face of the earth, with no uh, clean water even to take a shower. Um, It's a terrible situation. And that's why when Al-Aqsa calls for help and Hamas decides to respond, I believe that if not all, then the majority of the people of Gaza are behind it, are solidly behind it.
0: I mean, you you are an expert on Hamas, and I I note for our listeners, you've written... Uh, a book on on Hamas and its history and um its uh, its approach to the Palestinian struggle um but but let's let's drill down and, and try to understand the strategy of Hamas i mean some commentators have noted that um regardless of you know you know the ethic, the, the the strategy from a from an islamic perspective and from a you know from a, a political perspective and and of course you know Hamas is responding to uh, the desecration, I suppose, of of Al-Aqsa Mosque, but from a strategic perspective, was it a wise decision? Um, I mean, some commentators uh, note that uh, it uh, it turned the propaganda war in uh, it, at least it tilted it in uh, favor of the Israeli government, at least in Western capitals. The Americans could now. Uh, you know, hypocritically, but quite comfortably, argue that uh, the Israeli government was responding to a security risk, and attention uh, moved away from Sheikh Jarrah and and from Al-Aqsa. I mean, what's your what's your thinking about the the, str- the strategy behind uh, the most recent uh, rocket attacks?
1: Have the American establishment or any European uh, government been on our side at any time since 1948? Never. They created Israel. They provided it with arms to the teeth. They funded, literally funded. Israel without funding from the West is, uh, simply cannot exist. Uh, so we, we actually, they were never, uh, we were never their favor, uh, favorites. If If we keep thinking what the Americans will think or what the Europeans will think, we will never struggle. I mean, The same thing happened to the people of South Africa. There was a time I remember as a young student when Margaret Thatcher said uh, that Nelson Mandela would never be allowed to set foot uh, on British soil, that terrorist, she called him. Yes, Nelson Mandela to the British, to the Americans, to many governments around the world that uh, uh, colluded with the apartheid regime in South Africa, Nelson Mandela and his comrades were terrorists. But did that deter them? Did that intimidate them? No. Same with the Vietnamese people. You see, we are the victims in this uh, this issue. We are the ones who were invaded and dispossessed and thrown out of our country. And uh, thousands of our beloved brothers and sisters are in detention in Israel. Some are for... Uh, so many lifetimes that you cannot count. We are the victims of Zionism. At the popular level, forget about governments. Governments are hypocritical. But at the popular level, I don't think that Israel is more popular than the Palestinians. I think increasingly, the people around the world are coming to realize that Israel is not the victim in this. That this uh, rhetoric of victimhood on the part of Zionism has been exposed, has been scandalized, and that the real victims happen to be the Palestinians. They're really finding out the truth increasingly about the conflict, about its roots, uh, and about its various um, elements and dimensions. Uh, But of course, governments are different because uh, the U.S. government, as well as governments of the European Union, continue to consider Israel to be their Western project. This is, uh, Zionism is a Western project. It was initially intended to resolve Europe's Jewish problem. It didn't resolve any problem for them, but it created problems for us. And because of the Holocaust and because of the feeling of guilt and because of the lobbies and uh, the influence and also because of uh, the fact that we don't have a decent uh, uh, Arab government anywhere in the Arab world. Uh, if you remember in 2012, when Israel attacked Gaza, there was a great man ruling Egypt called Muhammad Morsi, and Muhammad Morsi stood and warned Israel and warned the entire world that what is happening in Gaza will not be tolerated. Obama immediately dispatched Hillary Clinton to him. And Hillary Clinton, within hours, got the Israelis to stop the attack on Gaza. Unfortunately, today, most Arab governments uh, are colluding with the Israelis in, what, in what's happening. And this is another important factor that I have to bear in mind when we talk about why Netanyahu has been doing what he's, what he's doing. Why is he so uh, uh, daring, so blatant, Simply because he has been given the green light by these lousy Arab rulers, who uh, some of whom recently signed the so-called
0: Abraham Accords. So, so I, I wanted to, to to pick up on that. Uh, well, in fact, there are two uh, two strands to what you were saying there. Well, let's let's pick up on uh, the change in the change to public opinion now. Um, you know i 've not followed these events too closely i 'm afraid and and uh, but what i what I do know is that there's been a almost an umbrella of censorship uh in in the west where uh, academics and and public figures uh are are um are routinely hounded on on social media and in mainstream media for defending palestinian rights and it it had come to a point i i suspect where Many academics, unlike yourself, and unlike you know Muslim activists, but many academics felt that they would get an easier ride um, in academia or public personalities if they just avoided the Palestinian issue. Uh, we've observed over the last few weeks uh, many voices in civil society, Muslim and non-Muslim, more open about supporting uh, Palestinian uh, the cause of Palestine. Um, do you put that down to? Uh, social media and, and uh, just uh, how uh, the, the ability of the Israeli state to control uh, the 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 news cycle is now is now somewhat broken. Well, of
1: course, social media is very important, but social media itself has, on a number of occasions, been manipulated and been pressured. Uh, Facebook, uh, you'd receive a message from Facebook telling you that uh, you've gone against community, I don't know what they call them, community standards or or whatever. Uh, And uh, some Arab countries play a role in this, of course, the UAE in particular, unfortunately. Now, um, there was a time when it it became very difficult to speak in support of palestine i'm t- take me as as a as a as a case in point as an example i used uh, to be a regular speaker in universities on campus i used to appear regularly on tv channels in the uk and elsewhere and then suddenly after the coup in egypt i was shut down shut, uh, shut out completely from all of these outlets um uh, the Zionist lobby in the UK um, uh, is uh, persistent in uh, uh, intimidating universities if they invite someone like me who, who gives the Palestinian side of the story. And, and this has, has reasons. Uh, uh, let me tell you this uh, story. Uh, it's, a, it's a short story. I won't take long of your time. Uh, after 9-11, I was invited by the BBC to uh, a short debate with an Israeli academic who had been invited from Bar Ilan University uh, to London to speak about a book he had just published, or a theme he writes about, called Islamic Antisemitism. And they said to me, we want you to listen to his lecture, and after the lecture, we want you to have a debate with him about what he says. I was the only non-Jew probably in, in that place because it was a Jewish center in the center of London. And after he finished his uh, lecture, uh, one of the main organizers stood up and said, commending the speaker for what, what he said about Islamic antisemitism and that antisemitism in, is inherent in Islam. This was his, his theme. The, the commentator said, uh, today, we have a real problem in, on, in, uh, in camp, on campus. Uh, Jewish students are losing to supporters of Palestine, and we need to do something about it. Supporters of Palestine are, are very persuasive, and our young Jewish students cannot uh, respond to their uh, evidences or whatever, their arguments. And we have uh, to find a solution to this. A few years later, we started seeing the solution. And the solution is to mobilize every authority, every pressure they could uh, exploit in order to shut us out, to prevent us from going to universities, to speak to students, uh, allegedly because we are extremists or because we support Hamas or because we were this or that. And this, this then reached the media itself and the editors uh, and producers in television and newspapers started self-censoring. Uh, censoring. Uh, it's a terrible situation. But I think uh, during the past couple of years, we've seen a revolution. We've seen um, a rebellion. People are sick and fed up with this. Uh, that... Democracies, the oldest democracies in the world, are actually contributing to the curtailment of freedom of speech. Because when you uh, say you cannot invite someone who supports uh, Hamas to speak, uh, and you only invite people who support Netanyahu to speak, then that's one side of the story. And not only supporters of Hamas, it came down to supporters of Palestine, supporters of uh, justice for the, uh, for the Palestinian people. And of course, because of the alternative media, which is the social media, uh, they could not uh, maintain uh, their uh, uh, exclusion for much longer. They could not keep us out for much longer because we started expressing our views and others were starting to express their views through Twitter, through Facebook, through other uh, means. And if Twitter or Facebook or YouTube were to collide, uh, were to collude with them, probably there would be uh, other alternatives. Uh, you see, it, this, this, is, this is really sickening what is happening to the democratic world. Uh, curtailment of freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom of movement, all in the name of fighting terrorism. And who is the terrorist? The real terrorists are the Zionists.
0: And I want to turn to America. I mean, You, you mentioned earlier that uh, the Americans have never been honest brokers when it comes to the Palestinian struggle. And uh, I think that was most acutely felt under the Trump administration. Um, you spoke of the, the so-called Abrahamic Abraham Accords, the, the deal of the century. But, but what about the Biden administration? How do you appraise uh, Joe Biden?
1: Well, Biden has so far failed. Uh, although there is uh, mounting pressure from within his Democratic Party uh, to change uh, the, uh, the the approach to the Palestinian issue, uh, I, I think he is uh, uh, proving to be uh, faithful to his vow uh, to be uh, a staunch Zionist. He announced this before, and a long time ago he said, if uh, Israel did not exist, America should, uh, would have uh, had to, uh, to invent it. Uh, you see, the difference between one U.S. administration and the other is only really in the manner they speak about things. Uh, Biden says, I am concerned. Uh, Trump would have said, I support what's going on. But in, in, in conclusion, both are the same. There is no much difference. Trump was more vulgar than anybody else. But under Obama, Israel received the biggest package of aid ever in the history of the United States of America. That's under Obama, who was supposed to be an academic, who was supposed to have really known the Palestinian issue quite well before he became president. But once you become a president in America, you are hostage. You are hostage to all sorts of things that point you in one direction the preservation of Israel. At the expense of anything else.
0: It's been fascinating speaking to you, Doctor Tamimi. I just want to end with um, a reflection. Really, you spoke about your family and and how they were treated in in the initial setup of the Israeli state and the Nakba. Uh, tell me a bit more about the Tamimi family today. I mean, where where are you in 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 Palestine and and in the world, and and what are your hopes uh, for the future of? Um, some semblance of dignity when it comes back, when it comes to uh, reclaiming your uh, your land.
1: The Tamimis in Palestine are one of the largest uh, uh, clans, if one may describe it as a clan. We are named after a man called Tamim al-Dari. Tamim al was a Christian who heard about the Prophet, وسلم, and went to meet him in Yathrib, in Medina, and became a Muslim. And uh, he used to live in uh, in hebron and the surrounding area and that's why we are all uh, uh, all his um, progeny uh, are, come from hebron but later on spread across palestine and sometimes elsewhere in the uh, in the arab region um my own family uh, we are from the uh, sultan branch of the themimis because there are several branches uh we've uh, lived Uh, Some of us lived in Beersheba, where my mother was born, and some of us lived in Hebron. And when my mother and her family uh, were uh, forced out of their house in Beersheba, they went to Hebron, where the rest of the family was, and she married my uh, father. um, And I was born in 1955. that's why I'm writing my autobiography at the moment. And what I say right at the outset, I say, my story begin, begins with the Nakba. Although I was born uh, several years after the Nakba. I was born eight years, uh, is it eight or seven years after the Nakba. Uh, but actually, my story begins with the Nakba because the Nakba forced my mother out of her house to come and live in Hebron where she met my father, and he married her. <laughs> so that's that's my story. And, and the symbolism of this is that every single Palestinian that lives today has a link to the Nakba, has a link to this catastrophe that was inflicted uh, upon us. And that's why we can never forget. I remember when I used to have debates with Zionists in uh, occasionally in the UK, and by the way, Most of them refused to have a debate with me. Most of them, to the extent that uh, uh, the Israeli embassy at one time issued a directive to uh, Jewish students on campus not to engage uh, in debates organized jointly by Islamic societies and Jewish societies uh, on campus because you will lose the argument. But at times when we had a debate, My opponent would beg me not to talk about history. Please, let's talk about the present. Let's talk about the future. How can we live in peace together in the future? And I'd say to him, how do you want me to forget what happened to my mother or to my father? Where you justify inflicting the catastrophe upon my people because of the Holocaust. I don't deny the Holocaust. I don't belittle the Holocaust. The Holocaust is a crime against humanity. But the Holocaust was not perpetrated by my father or by my mother. The Holocaust was was perpetrated by Europeans, your fellow country, countrymen. And then now you come to occupy my country because you are a victim of somebody else. So history is of the essence and we cannot, we can never forget history. And that's why we need to teach our children our history. We need our supporters also to learn history, because once you know how this conflict started and how it developed, you will have a very strong argument against the Zionists.
0: Doctor Tamimi, when do we hope to uh, to read your um, uh, your autobiography? When when are you planning to publish it?
1: <laughs> I have to finish it first. <laughs> um, uh, uh, whenever I go back to uh, working on it, something like this happens, and I'm busy all day doing interviews or things. But I, I hope, I want, I want to, be, for the sake of my children, I want to finish writing.
0: It. I, I think, for the sake of, uh, for, for all of us, I think we will benefit a lot from, uh, uh, from your story, inshallah, ta'ala. and I pray, I pray, um, Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala keeps uh, your your family safe. And um, uh, finally, uh, are you hopeful, Doctor Tamim? Are you hopeful about Palestine or or, you know, often we, we can come to a view that, we can surmise that, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a lost cause now. I mean, what, what uh, the Muslim Palestinians have uh, can never make up a state. I mean, the two-state solution, as, as they call it, um, uh, is, is unrealizable. Um, you know, do you have hope for, uh, for the Palestinian cause moving forward?
1: I never lose hope. I may at times feel the pain of my fellow countrymen. I may at times feel a bit depressed because we are being let down by our fellow Arabs and fellow Muslims sometimes. But I never lose hope. And by the way, our issue is not a Palestinian state. I don't give a damn about a Palestinian state. Actually, there was never in history a Palestinian state but there was a Palestinian homeland. Our issue is a homeland that was stolen from us and we want to get it back. I, my, my optimism increases when I see the images of the young men and women who were born as Israeli citizens, Arabs, but Israeli citizens, who today are telling us they have not forgotten what happened to their grandparents and are taken to the streets and are defying the occupation and challenging uh, it's various uh, authorities i am
0: full of hope dr tamimi i thank you for your time today salam Alaikum wa
1: you're welcome alhamdulillah thank you very much thank you for giving me the opportunity wa alaykum wa barakatuh
0: imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time